Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Okay, now having been given the seven letters to the churches, a vision of God's throne room, the seven seals with the coming of the day of the Lord, the seven um, trumpets with the coming of the day of the Lord, uh, an intermission that has described for us what that looks like, and then the interlude with the vision of a spiritual battle that's we're really fighting spiritual forces, but we have to fight them in the physical world and been given a stark choice of getting God's army and fight God's way. Stop trying to climb to success and meaning in the world. Come out of Babylon, be part of God's army. Now we're ready to talk about the third cycle of seven as John backs up, tells the events between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming again from the third and final perspective. This we have in chapters 15 and 16. We know from the Lamb's scroll and the sign visions that many of the nations do repent. Not everyone, but some do. That's what happens when we share the gospel. Some agree with us and they come, be part of the church, become part of God's world. But some do not. The Exodus plagues are played out again in the five bowls. But many will still, like Pharaoh, resist and curse God. So let's take a look. The first five bowls were those kinds of things. And so we arrive at the sixth bowl. In bowl six, the dragon and the beast. Remember, the dragon is the leader of the, the spiritual war, Satan. The beast are those earthly physical powers that align with evil And so evil gathers the nations together to make war against God's people. It really is a battle against good and evil, against God and those who oppose God. And the location is given to us as Armageddon. This is a plain in the nation of Israel where many battles have been fought. Go back and take a look at Judges chapter 5 verse 19, 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 29. Some think that this is a literal, physical battle in the future. Others believe it is a symbol for the battle that takes place between good and evil and for God's final justice over evil being seen. The The message is that in the end, God wins. There are clear images here from Ezekiel about Gog, Ezekiel's symbol for the rebellious nations. Go back to Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And so, All the rebellious nations are gathered before God to receive justice. In the seventh bowl, we see the fourth and final depiction of the day of God, of the day of the Lord, when evil is ultimately defeated among the nations once and for all, and all becomes as it should be. John has now fully unpacked the Lamb's unsealed scroll, and he goes back to explore three key themes that he has introduced. He's going to talk about the fall of Babylon in chapter 17 through 19. He's going to talk about the final battle to defeat evil in chapters 19 and 20. And he's going to talk about the arrival of the new Jerusalem 
in chapters 21 and 22. Each of these explores the final coming of God's kingdom from a different angle. So John should almost be called not just the revelator, but the king of angles because he likes to tell things from different perspectives. Let's take a look first at the fall of Babylon that we see in chapters 17 through 19, at least the first part of chapter 19. Okay, so an angel shows John a stunning woman dressed like a queen who is riding the dragon, the the dragon beast from our sign vision. She's drunk on the blood of the martyrs and of all innocent people. So remember, the beast is military power and violence and economic power. And so the woman has bought in to that. And as violence and nationalism and economic powers trample people, trample people, innocent blood is shed. And yet she thinks it's just what has to happen. It's the right thing. It's a symbol of the rebellious nations whom are called Babylon. Babylon has already become a key word for any oppressive um, regime down through time since Babylon becomes a symbol all throughout uh, scripture for that. But she is called Babylon the prostitute, or in some of your translations, the whore of Babylon. She has sold herself to buy into the idea that nationalism and economics will save you. The symbols would have been very clear to readers, and they should be to us, that she, that John is personifying the military and economic power of the Roman Empire and of every empire who will follow in that same vein. But he's also doing more. He's blending words and images from every single Old Testament passage that describes the downfall of Babylon, Tyre, and Edom. Take a look at Isaiah chapters 13, 23, 34, 47, Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51, Ezekiel chapters 26 and 27. Rome is just the newest version of an Old Testament archetype of humanity in rebellion to God. They come together to form nations that exalt their own military strength and their economic power and make it into a false god that is not limited to the past, nor is it limited to the future. It is a portrait of the human condition. Babylons, plural, will come and go until Jesus returns to replace Babylon with his kingdom. But how will his kingdom come? Well, that's about the final battle. And the final battle comes to us in the the rest of chapter 19 and chapter 20. The day of the Lord has been depicted as a day of fire, earthquake, a harvest, and now it's going to be pictured as a final battle. And it's going to be told two times, first in chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, and then again in chapter 20, verses 8 through 15. All of it results in the vindication of the martyrs in chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. So ultimately, those of us who live as God instructs us to live are vindicated when the world says, y'all are stupid, that doesn't work, or we're just going to, we're going to ignore you or kill you. We're going to steamroll over you. Okay, so we have battle number one. John goes back to bowl six, where the nations are gathered to oppose God. Jesus appears. He is the great hero 
the word of God comes riding on a white horse, which is the horse of conquering. Now the Lamb of God is ready to conquer. He's covered with blood, though, before the battle even begins, and we find out it's his own blood. The only weapon that Jesus wields on this white horse is his mouth, the sword of his mouth. This image is adapted from Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 14, and Isaiah 49, 2. We're also told in Ephesians, when we put on the armor of God, the only offensive sword is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's how we fight with the Word of God. The battle will not be a bloodbath, like most battles are. Instead, Jesus, who died for his enemies, will come and now hold them accountable, will hold accountable those who participate in the ruin of God's good world. So he will come proclaiming justice. And the destructive hellfire that we have heard about, that is what they have unleashed in God's good world. And so what they have done, what they have created in God's good world, now becomes their own destiny. So you want that? Fine. You can have that, is kind of what God says to them. Then in chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, we see the martyrs are vindicated. The martyrs are murdered by Babylon, but now they're brought back to life. They reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Okay, now we have the second battle, battle number two. Then the dragon rallies the nations to rebel. The dragon has inspired humanity to rebel against God, and now they will rebel against his kingdom, against his armies. Before God's throne of justice, all will face the consequences of eternal defeat. So forces of spiritual evil and everyone who doesn't um, choose to participate in God's kingdom are not forced to participate in God's kingdom. If you make a choice, because we're given free will, if you choose the other kingdom, then that is what you will get. Um, They are given what they want to exist by themselves and for themselves. And they are quarantined where they can no longer and never again be able to corrupt God's good creation any longer. Okay, so we hear a lot about a thousand years in there. So there are, there's a lot of debate about what that thousand years means and when it comes. There are those in the first few that believe it is a literal chronological sequence of years called a millennium. And so you'll hear people be premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. There'll be people who are pre-trib millennialists. I mean, it gets really complicated, those who have all these theories about the book of Revelation. But generally, the people who believe it is a literal chronological sequence of years believe that first Jesus will return. He will set up a kingdom on earth that will exist for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years, there will be this final judgment that occurs. So even after Christ's coming, there's a thousand more years before the final judgment. This Another view is that it is a symbol of Jesus and the martyrs' present victory over spiritual evil. 
The two battles represent Jesus' future return happening from two different angles there. So regardless of which of those views that you subscribe to, the point is pretty clear. When Jesus returns, he will deal with evil and he will deal with it forever and he will vindicate those who have been faithful to his kingdom and who have not subscribed to the kingdom of evil. Okay. And so now we move into the last section of the book, chapters 21 and 22. This gives us the marriage of heaven and earth. Remember that heaven is the place where God resides and earth is the place where human beings reside. In the Garden of Eden, those two overlapped completely. But because of our own personal rebellion and sin, those two could not. So God had to separate. And there have been these little overlapping places, temples, The tabernacle was one, then the temple was one, then the Holy Spirit came to dwell in believers of Jesus, and we became the temple. We became the place where God's space and our space could overlap. But in the end, at the end of the book, it is as it was in the beginning, where God's space and human space once again completely overlaps, and so they become married to one another. They become one and inseparable forevermore. This is John's final vision. The angel shows John a stunning bride, the bride of the lamb, which we view as the church. But the bride is really the symbol of new creation, new creation that has come forever to join God and God's covenant people. God announces that he has come to live with humanity forever and is making all things new. So it's really, we find here in the descriptions and in um, what John presents to us, a great kaleidoscope of Old Testament promises. We have new heavens and a new earth, a new creation healed from all of the pain and evil of human history. It is restored to its original created state. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. We have this idea of a new garden of Eden, paradise, the place of eternal life with God. Take a look at Genesis 2 and at um, Ezekiel 47. Remember that Jesus said to one of the thieves on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in the place where I reside um, until the end of all things. So it all goes back to like it was. There's also this vision of a new Jerusalem, not just a return, not just a return to Eden, but also a step forward beyond just natural creation. Now there's a great city where human cultures exist and all of their diversity work together. A great city where humans are using all of the abilities that they've given to create, to join God in the creative work, to produce, to make things better, to find meaningful work and productivity. And we're doing so um, with in civilized ways, 
but with such great diversity that it shows us. And we're doing it in peace and harmony with God and before God. Take a look at Isaiah 2 and Zephaniah um, chapter 3. Notice that there is no temple building in this new creation. The presence of God and of the Lamb was previously limited to the temple, but now the presence of God permeates every inch of the new creation. There's no need for a temple because it's all temple. Um, God is everywhere. God is always with us. There's no corner of this new creation where God is not. There's no pocket where the world is not operating as God wants it to. There's also a new humanity, new humanity fulfilling the calling that we've had since page one in the garden to rule as God's image and partner with God in taking this new creation into new and uncharted territory. And so with this great vision of all that God originally intended finally being realized and so comes to a close this story that we have in Scripture of God creating humans messing it up, but God never abandoning God's plan, always working not only for our good, but for the good of creation to bring us to the place where he put us originally. God never gives up. He never gives up on us. He keeps working to bring it. And so this is how John's apocalypse and really the whole story of the Bible comes to a close. There's no secret code here that we have to decipher and uncover. Um, There's no timetable. Jesus himself, remember, said to us, nobody knows the day or the hour. Jesus didn't even know it when he was on earth. He says, no one, not even the son, only the father knows when all of this will be accomplished and happen. So we're not supposed to spend our time trying to figure out the timeline. What we're supposed to do is see the signs, see the things that tell us the battles are still happening, the spiritual battle, the earthly battle, but God is still at work and humanity is still striving and creation is still struggling to move in the direction and become what God wanted it to be. He is told to, it is written, John has been um, inspired to write the revelation, to bring hope and challenge to churches, particularly those seven churches that got the letters in the beginning. We're to have hope that all is not lost, God is still at work, and we are challenged to play our role and our part in helping cooperate with God accomplishing God's will. And every generation since that original generation that read this book are given the very same challenge. It reveals to us history's pattern as well as God's promise that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted in the power of the slain lamb. Human earthly power will never establish the kingdom of God. It has been tried throughout time to make military power, nations, and economic systems synonymous with the kingdom of God. 
And yet, the story of Scripture, particularly of Revelation, tells us very clearly that that is not how the kingdom of God is established. The kingdom of God is established by believers. The army of God fights in the same way that the Lamb of God did, sacrificially, lovingly, and faithfully, even unto death. We're also given a promise, a great promise, that Jesus, who lives and died for this world, will not let Babylon go unchecked. He will return one day, and He will remove evil from the world, and He will make all things new. God wins. God wins. I can hear the the guy who is the commentator for um, University of Alabama, and uh, he's like, he won. He won. He won. He, I, uh, the goal is the goal of writing this book has been to motivate every generation to faithfulness until that return occurs. And for me, it is such a shame that we've turned this into a book that scares us, that makes us nervous, that we're afraid of what's coming. When the book was written to assure us that what's coming is ultimately the will of God that God wins. So I hope you've enjoyed the the journey through the revelation of John or the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And I hope that maybe you're a little less anxious when you approach it and can see the overall pattern and message contained within it. Thank you for joining me on this journey.